0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. You guys, you guys go ahead and open your Bibles up. Romans chapter 14. We will be starting in 14 tonight and we will be covering part one on Christian unity. We will be talking about avoiding the dangers of disputable matters. And so we're looking at this as we finished 12 and 13. We're moving into 14. We've talked a lot about our relationships, as we mentioned last week. Our relationship to the Lord, our relationship to others, even our relationship to enemies. He's going to talk tonight to begin to talk about our relationship to our brothers in Christ in and and, and through the disputable matters that we have. And we're we're going to be talking about those disputable matters, uh, what we will refer to as non-essentials or secondary issues. These matters that we're going to see tonight that we'll be discussing, these are not essentials to the faith. These are not Doctrines that we have covered in Romans earlier on in our study—that those those doctrines are non-negotiable. Uh, they're foundational to the faith. These are the things that are not clearly defined in Scripture, or that have been fulfilled in Christ. That during this time they were still debating these topics. Some people were still convicted about things from their Old Testament heritage and upbringing. Those Jewish Uh, converts to Christ. They were still wanting to hold on to some things. Uh, The Gentile believers, they never had the law. And so they were learning a new way of life in Christ. And so what was happening is there was a lot of comparing going on and contrasting. We have to remember this. Even in the life of this church, even in this room tonight, we are all at different places in our Christian walk. And so what we're going to learn is Paul wants the church to be unified. Why? Because Jesus wants the church to be unified. We don't need to divide over those secondary, non-essential issues. We're going to see that those issues that he's talking about today, there were convictions that these people had. And he's going to teach us that we have to respect those things. But we're going to see how to avoid the conflict that can come when we have different convictions about non-essentials. You guys know what I'm talking about when I talk about these things, and we're going to define some terms tonight that we'll be using in the next few lessons. But you you know what I'm talking about. Those things, those questions that we get like, is it wrong to get a tattoo? Is it wrong to have a glass of wine? Is it wrong for a man to have long hair? We've all had these questions come up, right? Many times these are over non-essential or secondary issues that are really a matter of the individual's conscience, the individual's conviction. We're going to see what that's all about tonight. Again, this is part one. We're going to look at part one from the, the vantage point of What do we need to do? Next time we meet, we're going to talk about how we need to do this. It's going to go more into the practice of how we need to treat each other. How we need to show mutual respect and edification toward our brothers in Christ. So, as we begin, let's define some terms that will help us. Number one, I want to define for you the word that we're going to see tonight, judgment. We know. We live in a time where we have misquoted to us over and over and over again by lost people. Judge not lest you be judged. That word judge means to condemn. uh, To condemn unjustly. Right? It's where we look at another brother in Christ in this particular section, where we look at another brother in Christ and because he has a tattoo, and our grandma told us that you shouldn't have a tattoo. Because the Bible says, don't mark your body. And we look at that brother who does have a tattoo, and we condemn him based on that. Right? We're going to see how we ought not to do that. We're going to see how we ought to handle those things. But Paul's going to warn us against judgment. That Greek word is krino. I want you to understand that differs from the word that you see him use over in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, we see another word for judgment, and that word is anachrino. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Right there, the Apostle Paul tells us that a spiritual man makes judgments about all things. So we have to see that there's a difference in those terms. Right when, when Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Condemn not, lest ye be condemned. But Paul turns around and says, judge all things. Now we understand. The breakdown here is the English language, right? Because what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians, he's telling us to discern all things. So what we're not going to learn tonight when we look at that word judgment, and the word judgment in this text is going to be the word krino. It is to condemn. He's going to in fact tell us not to condemn our brothers in Christ. We have to understand that he's not saying, Don't discern truth, don't discern evil, don't discern sin. We we can still discern those things because why? The spiritual man, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he discerns, and that's what anacrino means. He discerns all things. That's that's why we can refer to him as the spiritual man, because we know this it's the Holy Spirit who lives in him. He is giving that discernment. It's the Word who He's studying that is giving Him that discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand when we talk about judgment, let's not be like the world and the things that they have adopted where we say that that this text is saying don't judge anything or anyone ever at all. That's not what this is saying at all. But it is saying, we're going to see, it is saying not to condemn another brother in Christ and cause division because of non-essential, secondary, even tertiary issues. We've all seen that in the church before. We have to be very careful of that. So we need to define that term so that we understand the difference between condemnation and discerning what is right. We are permitted in Scripture to discern what is right. We are not permitted in Scripture to condemn our brothers on secondary issues. When we read the text in a moment, you will see exactly why that's important. The second phrase that we need to define is this, essentials of the faith. Essentials of the faith. Because we're going to be talking a lot about the non-essentials. I want you to understand the essentials. When we talk about the essentials of faith in Christ, we're talking about biblical truths or doctrines. Things that are clearly defined in Scripture. Okay? Those are not disputable matters. Remember, we're going to see tonight that he says don't be divided over us." disputable matters. Those are not disputable matters. These are biblical doctrines. These are biblical truths. These are biblical convictions. These are biblical commands. They're biblical principles, biblical precepts, biblical instructions. These things are clearly defined by the Word of God. We know that we are to live a life sola scriptura. Right? The Scriptures alone dictating what we believe. So when we look at the essentials, we have to understand that we believe what the Word of God says. The moment that a brother in Christ can show me that the Word of God says this, I don't have to discuss anymore whether it's a matter of personal conviction. It is now biblical truth. And the Word of God has spoken, and the Word of God trumps everything in our lives as believers. So we have to define essential faith or essential truth to the faith. So the essentials of faith, remember, foundational biblical truths, doctrines, biblical convictions, commands, principles, precepts, and instructions that we will not budge on. We're not going to budge on. If it causes division, well, they are going to divide from us because they are not of us. They're not like-minded in the essentials. we are not going to embrace someone who's not like-minded in the essentials of the faith. So when defining the essentials, we must then go to the non-essentials because that's where we're going to find ourselves talking in the next few lessons about the non-essentials. The non-essentials of the faith, why I call them both of the faith, because we're talking about people who are in the faith, who are in Christ. We're not talking about a person who's in faith in Christ and a person who's in the world. That's a whole other ball of wax. Paul is not even talking about that in this text, nor will we. He's talking about two brothers who are not divided over essential truths but are potentially being divided over non-essentials. What are non-essentials? Non-essentials, again, disputable matters. These are matters of personal conviction concerning a person's individual outlook on things. Notice I didn't say the Scriptures. These things are not clearly defined in Scriptures. These may be religious traditions, right? One has been raised. You don't wear your church, I mean, your hat when you come inside the church. Others have been raised. Well, God can hear you through your hat, so it's not that big a deal. It's a matter of those religious traditions, those non essentials, religious holidays, religious rituals, the religious holidays and religious rituals that are not clearly defined in Scripture. So when things are not clearly defined in scripture, but they are a matter of a person's conscience, meaning this, they're personally convicted of that. These are secondary or tertiary issues. For instance, let's ask this question. Is it wrong to drink wine? Some would say yes. Some would say no. Some could give you biblical reason as to why they say no. Some could scrounge around and find biblical reason as to why they say yes. Now let's ask this question. Is it wrong to become drunk with wine? The Bible has spoken yes it is. Now, let me mess you up. Some of you share this opinion on a non-essential. You say It's okay for you to have a glass of wine. That's between you and the Lord. I say for Kirk, I'm not going to partake of any alcohol. I completely abstain from alcohol. Now you say, well, why do you do that? Kirk, why do do you abstain from alcohol? Everybody wants to cause a, a fight and a ruckus over this, right? And I just say, look, live your own convictions about it. I'm going to live my own convictions about it. These are personal convictions. Here's what I'm personally convicted. I come from a long line of alcoholics. A long line of alcoholism. I don't want anything to do with that based on what? My individual conscience. My conviction. If I were to drink wine, I would be convicted about that. I would be convicted about it because I am convinced that for me, it is wrong. Okay? Everybody get that for me don't leave here say i don't like him anymore because he said if i have a glass of wine i'm going to hell that's not what i said not even what i meant not even what i'm getting at in fact i'm getting at the complete opposite of that we're talking about christian brothers here on non-essential issues because it's very clear right jesus turned the water into wine and he turned it into good wine and it was good wine because they knew it was wine now Even if somebody turned your water into good wine today, Kirk Hall would not partake of it. It It's a matter of my personal conviction. Now, can I give you biblical reason for my personal conviction? I sure can. For me. Because every time that I see wine in Scripture, I find this. I find that it's better left alone. Uh, That it is dangerous. And that being from my background that I have, it's probably really dangerous for me. We're going to see that there's some other things in the next lessons that will come into play about secondary issues and why sometimes it's better that we leave secondary things alone for the sake of others. So, essentials, non-essentials. I think we know the difference. I think we know the difference, I hope, between biblical conviction, that's the essentials, and personal conviction. That's the non-essentials, right? Some of you, you're personally convicted that It's okay for you to get a tattoo. I'm scared of needles. I'm not getting a tattoo. Okay, there's no conviction about it at all. I'm not getting one. Right. So the thing is, uh, we have difference in opinion on that. Right. And I know there's going to be someone in the class who's tried to hate tattoos your whole life, and you're going to say, "But it's right, you're not supposed to mark your body." They were marking their body in a form of pagan idolatry. Okay. They were identifying with pagans. So I can tell you this. Or false gods. I can tell you this. If, if you're mature enough in the faith and you're, you realize that, hey, I just got this thing on me because me, me and my buddies did it because we, we've been friends our whole life and we want to put this year on our arm that we became friends. You want to put your anniversary date on your wrist because you and your wife both have it. It's cute. And you're not convicted about that? I can tell you this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt not get a tattoo on your wrist with you and your wife's anniversary date. right? Or thou shalt not tattoo your wedding band on your finger. Your wife loves that because you can never leave it at home. Right? So I can't tell you that that's an issue because it's secondary. It's non-essential. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not do that. But we know there are other things that the Bible definitely speaks on. So just some advice to you, my Christian brothers. If the Bible speaks on it, speak on it. If the Bible remains silent on it, live your personal conviction. So, Continuing to define our terms, we're going to see some terms in this passage when we get there. I know this is a long intro. Most of tonight will be this intro. So that the next few lessons will make complete sense to everyone. We won't be confused about this any longer. I want you I want you to understand, he's going to talk about the weaker brother and the stronger brother. Okay, So we need to define the weaker brother in the scenario that we're going to look at. The weaker brother in the scenario that we're going to look at, he is that Christian brother who is new in the faith who is still growing um, toward maturity in the faith. He's still learning. Um, in the example that Paul is going to use specifically tonight, this this weaker brother is the brother who abstains from meat because he has the personal conviction that he should, and he's eating only vegetables. This is just an example that Paul uses. He's the vegetarian in the scenario. And that's what makes him the weaker brother, right? And we all laugh. But he is the one who says, I'm going to eat only vegetables. The stronger brother in this scenario is the more mature Christian brother. And he is and does understand his freedom in Christ, that he's not bound by the old dietary law. Many people will argue whether he's talking about dietary law here, whether he's talking about meat sacrifice to idols as he is in the Corinthian letter. Here's the thing. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because both of those things, as we're going to see, are non-essentials. They're both secondary issues. So you could apply either one to this, and you would be okay. But the stronger brother here, he says, "I have freedom in Christ to not be bound by the things of the law, the requirements of the law that once may be held this person bound, and I'm free to eat meat." We know that God showed Peter that, didn't He? In Acts, He showed him a vision, and all sorts of, and a sheet came down, and all sorts of animals were in there, clean and unclean, and He said, "Peter, arise, kill, and eat." Right? He was making the statement that what I say is clean is clean. And he was making the analogy that I have fulfilled these dietary things, these were pictures, to point to me, I am here, and now I'm going to do something that you never expected. I'm actually going to extend my grace to the unclean Gentiles. He was letting Peter know this because he had an encounter in a meeting that God had sovereignly set up, and he needed to be enlightened to this information. We see the stronger brother as defined. He's the carnivore in the story that we're going to look at tonight. See how easy it is to like him more? But I want you to understand this. When we look at this text tonight, it's not written to bring more honor to the stronger brother and less honor to the weaker brother. That's not what Paul's doing here. When he uses stronger or weaker, he's not pointing them out and saying, ooh, look at this guy, he's strong. And ooh, look at this little wimpy, measly person over here, he's weak. That's not what he's doing. I don't want you to approach the, the text thinking that's what he's doing. He is simply making us aware of the facts that we know to be true people are at different places in their Christian law, in the maturity process. So he's saying that these people are at different places. But just because you're at a different place does not mean that we should have division in the body because of non-essentials. We're at different places. How many of you would say, when I was a new believer, uh, there were things that I was convicted about, That I'm no longer convicted about. That I realize now I have been set free because of God's grace. Who would say that? Okay, now let's ask this. How many of you people would say, as a new believer, there were things that I wasn't convicted about that now I am biblically convicted about? So we're going through this process of growth. So we have to understand it. Paul understands it. He wants us to understand it. And it's important that we understand it so that we don't let division in the body of Christ. How many of you would agree that it is not Jesus' will that there be division in the body? It's not His will. And so what we're going to learn is we're going to learn a few steps, or keys, if you would, to Christian unity tonight. As I told you, in the the weeks to come, we're going to learn how do we put those things into play. So let's read this text together. Understanding that Paul is not taking the side of the stronger brother or the weaker brother, but he's taking the side of unity. He's taking the side of Christ. So let's read Romans 14, verse 1, all the way to verse 4. It says here, Accept him whose faith is weak. Don't you love that? He doesn't say discard him because his faith is weak. Accept him. You know what that means? Embrace him. Embrace the brother whose faith is weak just like you would if Charles Spurgeon walked in the room tonight. He says, Ex- accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? a good question who are you the judge a servant of christ you're not his master he goes on he says to his own master he stands or falls and i love this part he will stand look at the confidence there paul is telling the church even the weaker brother will stand because god is sovereignly in charge of the weaker brother just like he is sovereignly in charge of the more mature, stronger brother. He says, he and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So let's look at this and let's see what we can gain from this tonight. Number one, in the first verse, I want you to see this. Step number one, or key number one, to Christian unity is avoid division over non-essentials. Now, I said it like it's easy, didn't I? It's not. If it wasn't, if it was easy, we probably wouldn't find it in scripture. Paul's giving instructions about this to the church because it's not always easy. But we must avoid division over non essentials. Oftentimes we find the opposite of that happening in the church, don't we? We become divided over secondary issues, tertiary issues, right? I I don't want to fellowship with them because they're all millennial. I'm premillennial. I don't want to fellowship with them because I'm pre trib rapture. They're mid trib rapture, and I just can't fellowship. Those are secondary and tertiary issues. Everybody understand that? Everybody go like this, right? All, all the pre tribbers upset, right? It doesn't matter where you stand on that. You know, if you're pre trib, you can get there a little sooner. Mid trib, see you in a little while. And, uh, you know, if you're post trib, Later on, man. Enjoy, enjoy it. See you in the end. Okay, it, it, Those things are not essential. How many of you have ever seen Christian brothers fight over those things? It's ridiculous. We not fight over those things because guess what? You really don't know. You think you know. You think you know, and you're a big shot because you think you have figured out a non-essential. And because you think you have that non-essential out, figured out, your pride is so big... You're going to cause division in the body of Christ over something that is not foundational to the faith. Stop doing that. He's warning us that we are prone to division. He's saying, avoid division over the non-essentials. Psalm 133, verse 1. I love this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. You know what I like to see? I like to see someone who's pre trib, loving someone who's mid trib, and just agreeing that Christ is Lord over pre trib and mid trib, right? And rejoicing in Him, avoiding division and disharmony over non essentials. I-, I like to see someone, right, who's got their arm raised in a worship service to heaven, and it's a full sleeve tattoo next to a guy who's in a three-piece suit who just loves Jesus and would never get a tattoo. But they can love Jesus and serve Jesus right alongside of each other. Why? Those are non essentials Right? I love to see a guy in blue jeans, and a western shirt, at church. He's not convicted that he needs to wear a necktie. Right? But I also love to see the guy who came up through Christian heritage And they believe that it's right for you to wear a tie when you come to church. And they really believe this out of respect for the Lord. Okay, I can tell you this. I don't wear a tie to disrespect the Lord. But I honor a guy who wears a tie thinking that he is respecting the Lord. How honorable is that? I'm just thankful I don't have to show the Lord respect that way, right? But we can both worship the Lord together, can't we? Shouldn't we? Yes. So he's telling us here in verse 1, let's read it again together, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment condemnation, remember? Without passing condemnation on non-essentials. He says on disputable matters. That's why we define those terms. Don't condemn over things that are non-essentials. Avoid that division. We should never allow division in the body of Christ over secondary or tertiary issues. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 23, watch what Paul says to Timothy. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels." Stupid and foolish arguments. I promise you, he's not saying don't stand on the Word of God. He's already told Timothy, stand on the Word of God, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's good for correction and rebuke and discipline and all those things that he says the Word of God is good for. He's not talking about the essentials of the faith here. He's saying don't have stupid arguments about secondary things that really don't matter. If you're convicted about something, be convicted about that in a non-essential area. If the next person is not, guess what? Maybe they will be someday, or maybe you won't be someday, but God has a way of working all of it out. We should never... Allow division in the body of Christ over things that we are not commanded to avoid in Scripture. Everybody got that? Here's the key. If Scripture does not say avoid it, don't let it cause problems. Right? Don't let it cause problems. Not between you and a brother in Christ. But also, we should never allow division not only in the things that are not commanded, that we should avoid in Scripture, but also things that we are not taught to practice in Scripture, right? So don't avoid things just because. Don't practice things just because. But if you do, right, you practice certain things. How many of you practice certain things because your mom and dad told you that's what Christians do? You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. My wife literally thought her whole life. That somewhere in the Bible, it it said that you have to wear your best clothes on Sunday. She really thought that. Me, I wasn't raised like that. I wasn't raised in church. We wore what we had. Most of time, that was blue jeans, right? So we were raised that way. And, and when we got to church on the occasions that we made it, people were just glad to see us there. We were from the other side of the track. My wife was the church girl who was raised. You wear that little frilly, lacy dress because Jesus ordained that. Though he didn't, right? So early on in our marriage, we had some discussion about that, right? She wanted me to wear a tie because that's just what people wore, a coat and tie to church. Not not this people. You can wear your fruit fruit dress all you want. I think you're pretty and whatever you put on. She got mad because I told her this. I said, the Bible doesn't say anything about it one way or the other. In fact, what I do find in the Bible is that God looks on the inside and doesn't really concern himself a whole lot with the outside as long as we're modest in our dress. Well, I know it's got to be in there somewhere. So here we are, nearly 26 years later, and she hasn't found it yet because it's not there. But if you'll notice, my wife still to this day dresses up a little bit more than I do. And she just can't get rid of it. And that's okay. It's not even anything worth talking about anymore. Some people, they believe it's wrong for them. Ladies think it's wrong for them to wear pants to church. So they abstain from the cardinal sin of pants. Right? Did you know this? Nowhere in Scripture where it says women can't wear pants. It says women can't wear men's pants. It doesn't say women can't wear pants. Back back in the day, they all wore dresses. So as we look at these things, we need to see that they're not grounds to cause division. We have to avoid it. If it's not commanded in Scripture to avoid, don't get caught up about it. If it's not taught in Scripture to practice, don't get caught up about it. Everybody follow me so far? Avoid division over non-essentials. The things that bring dysfunction to the body that don't have to. In the body of Christ, unity is better than being right on a debatable topic. Because these are all debatable topics. When will we as men of God learn to lay down debatable topics? So stupid arguments that Paul was talking to Timothy about. Foolish and stupid. Any of you ever lost a close relationship with a Christian brother over a debatable topic? You don't have to raise your hand. You could. You have to be very careful of that. Many times people stop going to churches for secondary issues, tertiary issues. I have people who don't like me because of where I stand and my thoughts on eschatology. Right? I would tell you what those are, but this is not a lesson on eschatology, though many of you already know. But Titus chapter 3 tells us this Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Again, Paul giving instructions. He said, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. What is he talking about? Controversies, genealogies. They would argue over genealogies, right? Because we stem from Abraham. No, we stem from Abraham. We can trace ourselves back to Abraham. They would argue about this. They would argue about their interpretation of the secondary issues of the law that Jesus had already fulfilled. And he says, stop doing this. They are. Look what he says unprofitable, and useless. Here's what he says about people who keep stirring up division and dissension over non-essentials. He says, warn a divisive person once. And then warn him a second time. Watch this. After that, have nothing to do with him. You know why he upped it to have nothing to do with him? Because at that point in time, you're probably dealing with an unbeliever who just wants to sow trouble in the body. I understand that. After we said, "Hey, man, let's don't be divided over this. This is a secondary issue. This really doesn't matter one way or the other." And that person says, "Well, I think it does, and I'm going to keep fighting for my side." We know at that point in time it's pride, right? He really needs to repent repent of his pride. Probably at this point in time, we're seeing he may need to be saved. Nevertheless, avoid him so that there's not this division, right? So that we can find out is this brother truly in Christ or is he a false teacher? Somebody here who's been sown by the enemy just to stir up division. You ever met those guys in the church? (laughs) Right? They come into your Bible study, walk in the Bible study, and they always want to talk about a debatable topic, right? Who's Cain's wife? I don't have time. Right? I don't have time to find out who Cain's wife is. I like to make them really mad. Probably his sister, man. I did some time in Arkansas, and it could be. Right? That's what I always tell them. But I have some people, I have some people even here at Key Life. There are occasions on Sunday morning, they just walk up and want to talk about a non essential and debate a non essential. I'm like, man, I don't have time to spend debating non essentials. I'm going to preach the truth of the foundational gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my focus. That's what matters. You want to have coffee and just discuss a non essential? I guess we can, but I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm sorry that you do. Avoid division over non essentials. The second thing that he teaches us here, we read on in verse two. He said, "One one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables." Verse part of three says, "The man who eats everything must not look down on the one who does not." That's the first part. I want you to look at that. He must not. Second thing I want you to see: the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man. Who does? What is he saying here? He's already told us to avoid division over non essentials, but he's also saying abstain from dishonor over non essentials. Right? You can avoid division and still look down on someone. Right? Stupid mid tribbers. Right? We can still do that. Oh those wine-bibbers, those baby-baptizing Presbyterians. Right? We can do this all day long. Okay? He's telling us to abstain from dishonor over non-essentials. What is He talking about? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We learn this. Go back to it. Let's read it once again. He said, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. He's saying this. Value your brother over your opinion on non-essential. Ooh, we got to let go of some pride there, don't we? We have to value our brother over our opinion. Now, it's hard for us if we're wrapped up in our pride, right? Because when we're wrapped up in our pride, our opinion is right and who cares about our brother. But when we're wrapped up in Christ, yeah, we have an opinion. But this issue is a non essential. And I would hate to think that because I have opinion, my pride is going to allow there to be division in the body of Christ just because I hold to some non essential opinion. But how many times have we seen that in the church? So we should never treat one another in the body of Christ differently because we disagree on these secondary non essential issues. He starts off and he tells us this. He's teaching us as we go, don't look down on someone who chooses not to participate in freedom based on their conviction concerning this secondary issue. He's talking first about he who refuses to eat meat. right? Either meat, as we've said, prohibited by the dietary law or meat sacrificed to idols. Don't look down on that brother because he does not partake of that meat. Right? Don't do that. He's not at the point where He's grown to understand His freedom. Now, also, don't think it's your sole purpose in life to bring Him to that point. You're not the Holy Spirit. you got enough of that going on. Okay? Let God, and we're going to see that in the end, let God do what only God can do. God's going to bring us all to the place where we stand. He says that. He's going to fulfill that. So, we see that we're instructed to not look down on someone who chooses to not eat meat. But in the same breath, he turns around and says, don't condemn someone who exercises Christian freedom due to the fact that they're not convicted about eating meat, that secondary or non-essential issue. This is the guy who chooses to eat meat, who the person who says, I don't eat meat because the law says that I can't have certain things, right? You're that person who goes to the crawfish boil and you say that's unclean. And you miss out. Don't look down on the other people who are cracking the shells, eating some crawfish, right? Because we know if if you studied the law at all, crawfish they're unclean in the Old Testament dietary law. Man, aren't they good? Huh? How many of you understand? Some people say, yeah. yeah. What about shrimp? Huh? What about catfish? All oh, you rednecks love catfish. Yeah, they eat you know what off the bottom of the floor. All right, they're not clean. Right? So, you can't, as a brother who says, ooh, I'm not eating that yucky catfish because I'm convicted that the law says, because that's what was going on here at the Church of Rome, there were people who were saved from Judaism, and they are, men their whole life, they've been raised under the strict law, and they see this new Gentile believer over there, and he's eating a bacon sandwich, and they're thinking, oh my goodness, what has happened? Who am I hanging out with? And they began to condemn that person who does exercise their freedom in Christ and the fact that they really don't have to be convicted about the dietary law, right? How many of you understand, as Gentiles, we were never given a dietary law? Never has applied to us. So the thing, hey, I eat bacon five days a week, he says. Right? So his, his issue is definitely not scriptural conviction. It's how soon will he go to the heart doctor? So, the thing is, he said, been there, got a stint, went back for more. So, no, all kidding aside, he, he's letting us know that the brother who is the stronger brother doesn't need to look down on the brother who is weaker. The brother who is weaker does not need to condemn the brother who is stronger in their faith and mature and can say, hey, I have freedom in Christ not to live under the stipulation of the law abstain from dishonor over non-essentials. Don't dishonor someone because they differ from you on personal conviction over these secondary issues. Seems like common sense, but we mess it up a lot in the church. He continues the next part of verse 3. He says, "...the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does." The last part of three is very important. Watch what he says. For God has accepted him. God has accepted him. The third thing that I want you to see tonight, we've seen avoid division over non-essentials, abstain from dishonor over non-essentials. Number three, accept those God accepts despite differences over non-essentials. I think this is the kicker here. Shouldn't we all accept those who Christ accepts simply based on the fact that Christ accepts them? Shouldn't we? Wouldn't that simplify so many things? Who am I to condemn someone over a non-essential secondary issue? Christ doesn't. Because He doesn't. You know how I know He doesn't? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for he who is in Christ Jesus. Remember learning that? For he who is in Christ Jesus. The stronger brother and the weaker brother. There's no condemnation for those who are truly in Christ. So if Christ doesn't condemn them, neither should we. We must accept those who God accepts despite differences over non-essentials that we might have. Who are we? To question God. Acts chapter 15, verse 5. I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. That's a bummer. Wouldn't you like to have been a 30-year-old Gentile in that crowd? Some of you will get that in a little while. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, I'm glad there was much discussion. They took the Word of God. They took the Scriptures. Okay, They took grace in Christ and the New Covenant. They talked about these things. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the Gospel and believe. We you know that Peter's the one who received that initial vision. God who knows the heart showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did us. Verse 9, He made no distinction between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, He says in verse 10, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Peter, who was raised under the law, said we couldn't even bear the yoke of the law. All of these non-essentials that were fulfilled in Christ that no longer should be placed on us, that we have been freed from, that we could never meet in our own power, why would we ever put those on our Gentile brothers who Christ accepts by faith just as he accepts us by faith? He says in verse 11, no! No! We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Oh, what a beautiful statement. He brings it back to an essential, to a foundational truth. What is that essential foundational truth? Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you have trusted by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, he says you are equally accepted despite any non-essentials that you may have. Despite any disagreements that you could have over the secondary issues. He's saying this, God doesn't condemn them. In fact, if Scripture doesn't command against it or demand its practice, God's Word does not condemn them. So we must accept all whom God accepts in Christ. Right? But I'm Baptist. I disagree on some secondary issues with some other people who aren't Baptist. Well, you're wrong. Stop causing division over secondary issues. Now, if it's foundational, right? if they don't believe in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? they're talking about baptismal regeneration. That's works. Is that a foundational argument that we'll live and die on? You bet. Whereas by grace we've been saved through faith. Not of works the gift of God. Why? So that no man should boast. We know that. Those are essentials. You see the difference between the essential and the non-essential? So we must accept all whom God accepts in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, wherever they are on this journey. And wherever they are on this journey has no relevance to how we should accept them or not. we should accept those who God accepts, period. We should show our brothers in Christ the same grace that we have received in Christ. If our opinions differ, we should show grace. If our opinions on the non-essentials differ, we should show love. If our opinions differ on tertiary issues, we should still embrace and accept that brother in Christ simply because he is a brother in Christ. Again, if it was essential foundational issues, we would not be so quick to accept, would we? Nor should we. But in these secondary issues, we should accept those God accepts. Why? Because God accepts them. And who are you to not accept them if God says He does? Are you bigger than God? Very valid question at this point in this lesson, right? I'm going to condemn someone based on their tattoos. But God doesn't. Are you going to keep doing it? If you do, you're trying to take the reins from God, aren't you? Everybody nod your head yes. Except those God accepts despite differences over non-essentials. The last thing, number four. Verse four. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Who do our brothers in Christ belong to? Christ. Right? They don't belong to us. He is the head of the body. They belong to Him. This is His church. You are all His people. He is your Master. I'm not. It's interesting if you've ever pastored a church, you know this, that some people want you to play morality police. I heard this about so-and-so and I think you need to do something about it, Pastor. Well, what is that? They were at a wedding and they gave a champagne toast at the wedding. They did. Did they get drunk? No, but they might as well have. Really? Are we really going to go and confront that brother in Christ and cause division because he celebrated something at a wedding? Would I do it that way? Absolutely not. Why? Based on personal conviction. We've already discussed that. So it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit. Everybody understand that? not our job in non-essentials. We don't play a role at all. Now, if in the essentials we see a brother who needs to be held accountable, how do we do that? Do we go to him with our opinions? Absolutely not. We go to him with the truth of the Word of God because if it's essential, I promise you, it's clearly defined here. You can take that that the Word of God to the brother who is caught in fornication and you can say, you're in fornication and you need to repent. And here's why I'm telling you you need to repent Because God's Word specifically condemns sexual immorality. Let me pray for you. I'll help you through this. Let's see you restored. Let's see you repent. Let's see you confess. Right? That's an essential. There's no need to go to the brother who had a thimble full of wine. Right? Though, I personally disagree with it. He's free to do that because He's free to live His convictions. And I'm thankful that I'm free to live mine. And we know that that is in regard to these non-essentials. So what is He saying here in verse 4? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand last thing I want you to see is that we, the last key in this, we must acknowledge God's sovereign reign in the life of all believers. We love to talk about the sovereignty of God as as if He's only sovereign in our life. Did you notice He's sovereign over all? So just as sovereign as He is in your life, He's also sovereign ruler in the life of your brother in Christ, just as he is sovereign ruler even over the lost world who has not even acknowledged him. And Paul is saying this. He's telling the church, pay attention. This person who you're judging, condemning over non-essentials, he doesn't belong to you. You let me worry about him because it is to his master. He stands or false. What is he saying? He's going to give an account. To God. Everyone in this room, you're going to give an account to God. Right? So if you are abusing your freedom in Christ, you're going to give an account for doing that. If you are living in the yoke of legalism that Christ by His grace has set you free from, you're going to give an account for that. Watch this. (laughs) You're not going to give an account to me. You're not going to give an account to anyone else in the room. You are going to give an account to the sovereign Lord. So, acknowledge God's sovereign reign in the life of all believers. God accepts both strong and weak believers in Christ. He understands that we're all at different levels of maturity. We're all different places in our Christian walk, but He's still just as sovereign over both the weak and the strong all at the same time. And just like He says in verse 4, He's going to bring them both where they need to be. He's going to make them both stand. Why? Because they're in Christ. That's why Paul confidently says at the end of this verse, The Lord is able to make Him stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now it is God who makes both of us, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul had mutual respect for all believers. He says it's God who makes both of us stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, all the way to verse 22. You can catch that text. We need to realize that. It's the Lord who makes us stand. If anyone in this room stands, it's because the Lord has sovereignly allowed you to stand. Ultimately, each of us is responsible to God and to God alone. We answer to God on how we live our lives, even in the areas of non-essential. We stand or we fall in Him. Now, if God wants you to be convicted in an area that's non-essential, guess what He's going to do? He's going to bring conviction. The Holy Spirit lives in you to do that. If He wants you to be free in an area that's a non-essential, guess what He's going to do? He's going to convict you that you're free. And it's His job to do that. And I can promise you this. Trust me on this. He is way better at His job than any of us are. He's way better. So acknowledge God's sovereign reign in the life of all believers. Ultimately, each of us is responsible to God. We need to see it like that. To Him, we stand or we fall. Now we don't have to be the church police, right? We can just love our brothers. We can strive for Christian unity. We can unite on the essentials. We can agree to disagree on the non-essentials. And we can press forward for the cause of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can see others come into the faith without us fighting and bickering over things that are really secondary or, again, even tertiary. For the Lord's, He'll convict us where we need to be convicted. I'm very confident of that. He'll give freedom where there needs to be freedom. He'll do this on every issue in our life as long as we are developing and growing in Christ. Right? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to stop working in, in your life. He's not going to stop bringing you to where He sovereignly wants you to be. Paul is reminding them of this. Just keep trusting in God. Acknowledge God's sovereign reign in the life of all believers. He has spoken on the essentials in His Word, and we as believers ought to adhere to the essentials. Watch this. He did that sovereignly. He has also sovereignly and willfully not spoken on the non essentials. He's not spoken on the non essentials, and He has left them to be a matter of personal. Conviction, right? He's intentionally not spoken on those. You you know why I know that? Because He didn't speak on them. If I can find in the Scripture where He spoke on it, it becomes an essential and I have to obey it. But if He didn't speak on it, then guess what? You're free to live your own convictions in that. And we should trust Him to do His job one way or the other. So tonight what we've done We've taken the first four verses of chapter 14, and we're going to see that it's going to escalate. We're going to see that even though we're free to do some things in the next few lessons, maybe we ought not do those things. Because those things could actually bring harm to our brothers in Christ. And who do we really care about? Do we care about them or do we care about us? We're going to learn some of those lessons. We're going to learn why it's important not to abuse our freedom that we have in Christ, right? Why it's important that we wouldn't pull up a bacon sandwich and offer it to our friend who just was born again out of Judaism. Because it could offend Him. There's ways to do things. There's ways to not do things. He's going to cover that. He's going to give us the hows. The how do we live this life of mutual respect even in areas of non-essentials in the body of Christ? Even though we differ on our opinions. How can we live this life keep the harmony and unity that Jesus Christ died for us to have? Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You so much for loving us. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truths in Your Word. We thank You for the things that You have clearly defined for us, those essentials. May we live and may we die defending those things. Lord, we know this. We know that there are secondary things. You have given us freedom to live our personal convictions. May we be responsible in those areas. May we also be respectful in those areas as we will learn in the weeks to come. May we respect our brethren in Christ and do as Romans chapter 12, verse 10 tells us. May we be devoted to one another in that brotherly love and honor our brother above ourselves. Lord, I thank You for the teachings that we have begun tonight. I'm excited to see as the rest of this is laid out what You're going to show us, how You are going to mature and grow us through this process, how You already have through our study through Romans. Lord, we thank You for it. Thank You for each man who's here for the homes who they represent. May You bless them as they seek to do Your will. May you be glorified in their lives, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.